with us. That's on the first and third Sunday each month. And then on the other weeks, the kids go into another room and do uh, Kids Connect, which is where they kind of learn what it's like to be part of a church body and participate in church life in those ways. And so today, kids are in service. And so we kind of have a kids sermon that's more geared towards them, but hopefully it's different than the kids sermons that you experienced growing up. And so kids, I need you to raise your hand so I can see where you're all at. I've got some questions to start with this morning. All right, so my first question is, who is John the Baptist? Zeke? Mm -hmm. He's the one who baptized Jesus. What else do we know about John the Baptist? Zaley? That's exactly right. So he, he baptized Jesus. He was born before Jesus was, and he was kind of supposed to prepare the way. Does anybody else know anything like weird about John the Baptist? Like, did he dress funny? Solomon? Honey and he ate honey and bugs, right? That's kind of weird. Noah? Yeah. What what did he wear though? Does anybody know what he wore? Dinah? Animal skins, right? Camel hair. So he, he dressed funny, he ate funny, but the really important thing we need to know about him is that his uh he was the, the one who went before Jesus and prepared the way for him. Does anybody know who John the Baptist's parents are? Zaley? Elizabeth and Zachariah. That is exactly right. Okay, so Zachariah, his dad, was a priest. And today we're reading a passage in Luke about when Zacharias is at the temple, he's doing his job, he's offering incense at the altar, and then an angel just shows up out of nowhere. How do you think you guys would respond if you were doing, you know, a chore around the house and all of a sudden an angel just showed up? Wow, right? Do you think, do you think maybe it would scare you? Maybe freak you out a little bit? That's what, that's what happened to Zachariah. Zachariah saw the angel, and it scared him. It freaked him out. The angel said, don't worry, Zachariah, I'm here with good news. And he tells him the good news that he's going to have a son, which he had been praying for for a long time. And he tells him that his son is going to be the one, like Zaley said, who's going to prepare the way for the Messiah to come. So if an angel showed up and gave you really, really good news, how do you think you would respond to it? Wow, right? Do, do any of you know how Zachariah responded? Saley? Yeah. That's exactly right, right? He, he said he didn't believe it. He asked the angel to kind of prove it. And then the angel said, I'm going to prove it by making you silent until this baby's born. So my question, though, is do you think that Zachariah should have believed the angel? Yes, but why? Has there ever been any other kind of story in the Bible about two old people that didn't have any kids, and then all of a sudden, they had a kid? Levi? Who's the mom? Okay, Landon? Abraham and Sarah, right? Abraham and Sarah were really old. They didn't have any kids. They didn't have a son. And so God told them a promise that they were going to have a son and their son was going to be born and then God was going to pass on his promise through the son. The son was Isaac. Who is Zechariah a descendant of? I'll give you a hint. His name starts with Isaac. 
right? So Zechariah would have known his whole life that his great 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 grandfather was born in a crazy situation like that. He would have been told that story. He would have told that story to other people. All the people around him would have known that story, that God did that amazing thing. And so then when this angel shows up and tells him that he's going to do this other amazing thing through him, Zechariah should have said, awesome. He should have said, wow, like Levi, Levi said he did. But he didn't. He didn't believe. Uh, he, he failed to trust that God could do this exceptional thing. Um, but the great thing about God is that he does it anyway, right? Even though Zechariah didn't believe at first, God still kept his promise. He still did that amazing thing. And Zechariah came to have that faith that God does do those amazing things. So kids, I would encourage you to go home, ask your parents what they learned today about Zechariah and Elizabeth and what God is going to do through them uh, and how it tells us more about who God is and what he's doing in sending Jesus into the world. Uh, Let's pray, and then we'll read our passage this morning. Father, we thank you that you are a God who does amazing and exceptional and unbelievable things. We thank you that you make outlandish promises to your people and keep them. God, we thank you that you sent John the Baptist into the world, that you answered Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayer, even though it was late and late and late in their life. Um, God, we thank you that John the Baptist coming prepared the way for your son to come into the world. Uh, that in our passage today, we get to learn about the, the way in which you set your plan of redemption in motion. So I pray today that that you would send your spirit to, to enable us to, to learn from your word and benefit from it and study it well together this morning, um, and that our uh, affection for you and our appreciation and gratitude for what you've done for us in Christ would be, would be stirred up, um, and that, that our hope in him and his return would, would be inflamed through your, through your word today this morning. Uh, Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. We're going to read uh, verses 5 through 25. Again, that's Luke 1, 5 through 25. Last week we started this, this journey through Luke, and so this is kind of the first uh, uh, real passage where he's given us part of the account of how Jesus came into the world. Again, we're going to read verses 5 through 25. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as a priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right hand, on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. 
And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So in this passage, Luke is introducing us to this this character that's going to become important later, which is John the Baptist. He's telling us how he was born um, and introduces us to his parents. And so in the first couple of verses, he just kind of gives us the details, the setting of the story. He introduces us to the the when and the who. And then a little bit later in verse 9, he tells us where this happened. It happened at the temple. So the first thing he tells us is that this happened in the days of Herod, king of Judea. And so Herod was king from like 40 BC to 4 BC. So somewhere during that time is when this happened. And the people he introduces us to are Zechariah and Elizabeth. He tells us that Zechariah is a priest. He's of the order of Abijah. There's like 24 divisions of Levites. He's in that one. And then his wife, uh, Elizabeth, is a daughter of Aaron. And so this is a, a priestly family that John the Baptist is going to be born into. And he tells us in verse 6, And seven, two important things about Zechariah and Elizabeth. The first thing he tells us is that they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Uh, And so here we need to talk about what what this means and what it doesn't mean that they're righteous and walking blamelessly. And the reason why it's important for us to talk about it is because later in the New Testament, the word righteousness comes to take on a very specific technical meaning. So when Paul talks about righteousness, he's talking about it in the context of our salvation. We are declared righteous in God's sight. That means that we have right standing before him. But in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when they talk about righteousness, they don't usually use it in the way that Paul does. Instead, they're talking about people that are striving to live a righteous life. And so if we were to read Matthew 1, it would tell us that Joseph was a just or a righteous man. What he means there is not that Joseph has right standing before God, that he is he's saved in the same way that we are saved in Christ. What he means is that Joseph is striving to live a life of obedience to God. Zechariah and Elizabeth are doing the same exact thing. But just because it says that they're righteous, just because it says that they're walking blameless, it doesn't mean that they are morally perfect. The reason why we know this is because just a couple of verses down, right, we read about how Zechariah blew it when the angel gave him this good news, right? He didn't believe it. He, he failed to have faith. And Paul tells us later in Romans that anything that does not proceed from faith is sin. And so we know that Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were walking righteously. They were striving to do what God required, but they weren't morally perfect. They weren't like Jesus in that way. Um, the next thing he tells us about them is that the, Elizabeth was barren. 
They didn't have any kids. And the reason why it's important for us to see these two things together is because the assumption during this time was that children were a blessing, which they are a blessing. But if you didn't have children, it was assumed that you had done something wrong. You had done something to deserve that. And so it was, it was shameful. It was reproachful, which is what he talks about at the end of the passage when he says that Elizabeth went and hid, uh, but that God has taken away her shame. He's taken away her barrenness. And so the fact that uh, Luke tells us that they're striving to live a godly life tells us that they're not barren because of sin. They're barren because of some other reason, because God is going to do this thing that we just read about in the passage. So Zachariah and Elizabeth are John the Baptist's parents. They're from a priestly family. Uh, they didn't have any kids before he was born, but they were striving to live a righteous life. And then later in verse 9, he tells us that this happens at the temple. The reason why I want to point these things out, that he's talking about when it happened and who it happened to and where it happened, is because this isn't a, a once-upon-a-time story. Right, Once upon a time in a faraway land, there was a, a prince and a princess. There's just these vague details in stories. This is a historical account. Right, This happened at this time, in this specific time, in this specific place, to this specific people. Luke is telling us what happened so that if we wanted to, the people who were reading it at the time, so that Theophilus, who he's writing to in this time, could verify the details of his story. He's presenting a true historical account of what happened and how John the Baptist was born. He tells us in verse 8 that Zechariah was serving as a priest uh, when his division was on duty, and according to the custom, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple and burn incense. So casting lots is a lot like rolling the dice, right? If we were going to decide who has to clean up the coffee stuff after service, and we say, well, roll a dice, and if you know, your name starts with an S and it lands on six, you've got to do it. Uh, that's how they made decisions in Scripture some, at least up until we get to Pentecost, was by casting lots. But the book of Proverbs tells us that the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. And so Zechariah is chosen not by lot, but by God. God is sovereign over the casting of lots. He's sovereign over the rolling of dice. He is the one who is putting his plan in motion by sending Zechariah into the temple at this time. Zechariah goes in, there's people outside praying, and as soon as he gets in there, he starts to burn incense, an angel shows up at the right side of the altar of incense. The reason why the right side matters is that it's the favored side. So sorry, left-handed people. You are not favored, and that's, that's me too, so don't feel bad on your own. But the right side, is, it, it's a good omen. And so the fact that this angel shows up on the right side of the altar should have kind of prepared Zechariah to receive good news. But Zechariah responds the same way everybody responds in Scripture when an angel shows up, and that it scares him. He, he freaks out. He starts, he starts freaking out. And Gabriel does what angels do when they show up in Scripture, and they start reassuring the people, you know, don't be afraid. Don't freak out. Don't worry. Uh, and then he tells him why he's there. But I think we should wonder a bit about why Zechariah responded the way he does when the angel shows up, why he's terrified. Because I think we assume that that's just the way people respond when angels show up. But there's more to it in this story. And, and I think what, what the more to it is, is that up to this point in Israel's history, God had been silent for 400 years. There hadn't been anything supernatural happen in their midst for 400 years. The, the Jewish literature written during this time said that the prophets were dead. They said prophecy was dead. They said the Holy Spirit had ceased to operate in Israel. 
And so they believed that God was just silent. God wasn't doing anything. He had, he had left them. So the reason why Zechariah is shocked and surprised and scared when an angel shows up is because there hadn't been anything supernatural happen for 400 years. And then in this moment, there's an ordinary guy who's just doing his job. And God steps into history and changes it forever. He uses this moment, this place, this time, this priest to start speaking again to his people and to keep all those promises that they'd been longing for. They'd been waiting and waiting and waiting and praying and praying and praying, asking God to send his Messiah into the world. And this angel shows up out of nowhere 400 years later and says, the time is now, it's going to happen. And he starts to announce this good news to him. He says that his prayer has been heard. Him and his wife, Elizabeth, they're going to bear a son, which is great news already, right? That would have been enough to overjoy Zechariah that his prayer for a son had been answered. And it's probably a prayer that they stopped praying because they're so old, right? They were, they were barren, and at the time when everybody else their age were having kids, they were praying and praying and praying and praying and asking God to give them a kid. And then, you know, as time went on and they got older, they probably stopped praying. Because when you're right, 60, 70 years old, you don't pray and ask God to give you a child. But God heard their prayer, and he answered it later in their life. But there's more to it. Their, their son is not just going to be any son. He's going to be exceptional. They're going to call his name John. They will have joy and gladness, which everybody has joy and gladness when they have a child, but not just them. He says many will rejoice at his birth. Why are they going to rejoice at his birth? Verse 15, because he will be great before the Lord. He's going to be an exceptional child. He's going to be an exceptional son. And then he says, and, verse 15, he must not drink wine or strong drink. Which, that's kind of surprising, right? That kind of comes out of nowhere. If you think about all the things that an angel would tell somebody when they showed up to, to give them a birth announcement, right? You're going to have a child. You're going to name him this. Oh, by the way, no alcohol for this one. What I think we should see here is that this prohibition against alcohol stands out. Well, why is it there? Well, in the Old Testament, there's three places where we see this kind of prohibition against alcohol. The first is in Leviticus 10.9, which I think we have a verse on a slide, um, where Levites are prohibited from, from drinking when they're performing their duties in the tabernacle. So it says, drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generation. So when the Levites are on duty in the temple, they're, they're doing their work as priests in the temple, they're not supposed to consume alcohol during that time. Next, there are Nazarite vows, which are these vows in the Old Testament that, that people would make of an extreme life of self-denial. Some of these vows were lifelong, some of them were temporary. So we see in Judges 13, 4 through 7, the case of Samson. It says, therefore, this is a, 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 a kind of prophet speaking to his mom, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, a man of God came to me and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from and he did not tell me his name, but he said to me, behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. 
So then, drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. So Samson was a Nazarite from the time he was conceived in the womb until the day of his death. And so this uh, messenger speaks to his mom and says, you can't have alcohol either because the baby's going to be in your tummy, and so he can't have any alcohol the whole, his whole life, from the very beginning until the end. So Samson, this vow was lifelong, but sometimes they're for a more specific time. So we're not going to read the passage today because it's a big chunk of number six, but if you want to read it later, I would encourage you to. It talks about Nazarite vows there and kind of lays out what they are, and specifically it talks about how sometimes they are temporary. They're for a specific time frame or season. The point for us, though, is that these kind of prohibitions are exceptions. They stand out. The the norm is not no wine or strong drink, which is why this angel has to tell this to Zechariah, right? If it was just expected that no Jews would drink alcohol, why would this angel need to say this to Zechariah? In fact, when we get to Luke's birth announcement, we're not going to see anything like this there. So it's not okay for John the Baptist, but it's okay for Jesus. Um... I think the reason why this is there is because that's the case, right? There's not a everyone-wide prohibition against alcohol in Scripture. There are specific examples where that's the case. This is one of those cases. Uh, This sermon isn't about alcohol, but this passage brings it up, and so we're going to talk about it. If you have more questions about that, I would love to talk to you about that afterwards and what that means and what we do with that. I think that what we do with it is each individual believer needs to decide whether it is uh, permissible for us to drink alcohol and whether it's possible for us to drink alcohol in moderation. Scripture says drunkenness is a sin, but it does not say that drinking is a sin unless you're one of those people that God has called to have this extreme life of self-denial like John the Baptist. And so if, if you have questions about that, I would love to talk to you more about it afterwards. The real highlight of verse 15 is the end, though. Right? He says the part about drinking, he says he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Uh, this means in the Old Testament, people are anointed by the Holy Spirit for a specific role that God has for them. And often in the Old Testament, that anointing is temporary. It doesn't last. And so in the case of Saul, who's, who's king, right, he's anointed as king and the Holy Spirit comes upon him to be the king of Israel. And then he blows it as the king of Israel and the Spirit leaves him and goes to David, who's anointed as the king. But for John the Baptist, it's kind of a foretaste of what it's going to be like for believers in that he gets the Holy Spirit even from birth and then he's going to have it his whole life as he does this role that God has for them. He's going to keep the Holy Spirit. Just like when we trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells us and we've got it forever because we're in Christ. It's not something that's dependent upon us and our performance as believers like it was for Saul in the Old Testament. So this John, John the Baptist, is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, verse 17, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Who is him? Who is him in verse 16, or verse 17? He will go before him. Well, it refers back to God at the end of verse 16, which is huge. Remember, for Zechariah, there has been 400 years of silence 
400 years of nothing from God. This angel shows up, tells him he's going to have a kid, tells him his kid is going to be exceptional, tells him his kid is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, tells him his kid can't drink alcohol, and then tells him, by the way, your son is going to be the forerunner of who? Of God himself coming into the world. God is coming to save his people. And this angel shows up to announce that to Zechariah in the temple. And Zechariah doesn't believe him. But I think we can understand that because this is unbelievable. God himself is keeping his promise to his people in the Old Testament to come and save them. He says that he's going to go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah. In the Old Testament, in the book of Malachi, There's a prophecy that God is going to send a forerunner who's going to be like the prophet Elijah to prepare the way for like the Messiah to come in and keep all those promises that he had made to his people. And this angel is telling Zechariah that his son is going to be that forerunner. He's going to prepare the way. He's going to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And that's what we're going to see John the Baptist doing as he enters into his ministry. He is the one who marks this new age dawning among the people of God. That God has started speaking again. And he's speaking again to tell them that he is coming to save them. He's coming to keep all those promises. He's going to send his son. He's going to send his Messiah. He's going to redeem his people fully and finally and bring his kingdom. This is amazingly good news. But Zechariah's response is not so good. He says to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. The first thing we should notice about this is that even when it's just Zechariah all alone in the temple by himself with an angel, he's still smart enough not to call his wife old. Right? Right. He says, I'm old. She's advanced in years. But the first part, how shall I know this? That's not good. He's essentially saying, prove it. Demonstrate how I can know that what you're saying is true to me. And Gabriel answers him. He says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So Gabriel's answer is is, his answer to Zachariah's demand for proof is essentially like, I'm an angel, right? Like, I'm here speaking to you in the temple. Why would you not believe what I say? Secondly, you're mute. Right, I'm not going to let you say anything else about this. Uh, he tells him that he's going to be mute until it happens. Like that's, that's the sign. That's the sign of the, the truth of what Gabriel is saying. Gabriel is saying he stands in God's presence. He's bringing the good news. This word good news here is gospel. The angel was sent to give gospel good news to Zechariah that his uh, son is going to be this forerunner of the Messiah, the one who's going to keep all of God's promises. And he's going to be mute because he didn't believe. So Zechariah gets this great news. He doesn't believe it. The angel tells him he's going to prove it by making him silent until it happens. Then he leaves the temple. He goes outside the temple. There's people waiting and wondering because, you know, he was just supposed to go in and burn incense and then leave. But all this stuff happened in the temple. So he was in there a while and they're wondering what's taking so long. He finally comes out. They're asking him what took so long. He can't speak. And so he kind of makes motions to them. They understand, well, something happened in there, but we don't know what it was. 
Uh, and then after he's done, he goes home. And imagine the conversation that he had with Elizabeth when he got home. And by conversation, I mean like charades, right? As he's trying to tell his old wife that they're going to have a baby and that the baby that they're going to have is going to be the forerunner for the Messiah, right? He probably would have been incredibly excited and just trying to convince his wife that what, is, what the angel said is true, even as he's struggling to believe it himself. Um, I don't know what it was like, but I bet that it was hilarious. It says, Elizabeth uh, conceived after these days, just like the angel said that she would, and she hid herself for five months, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So kind of what's happening here is that, like I said earlier, for a, a woman to be barren during this time, really for a couple to not have kids during this time, it would have been kind of shameful and hard to deal with, but for a woman especially. And so as she finally conceives and has a child, she kind of hides herself to not have to deal with other people's garbage about what was going on with her. And it's not until she's showing that she is around people to kind of not have to deal with the, are you really pregnant, are you not really pregnant stuff. Um, but she says that God has taken away her reproach, her shame among people. Um, I think for us today, I think we, we should be excited with Zechariah about this news that God has brought to him. But I think another side of it for us is recognizing that we're kind of in a similar place now that Zechariah was in then, where we're waiting for God. We're not waiting for him to send his son into the world. That's already happened. We get to look back on all that Christ has done. We get to read about it in the Gospel of Luke. Um, but we are waiting for him to return and to fully consummate the kingdom that he inaugurated when he came into the world. We're waiting for him to kind of fully and finally deliver on all of the promises, to fully and finally make all things new, make us new, to fix everything that's broken about this world. We're waiting for that. And so in this passage, we get to see someone that's in that situation. They're not expecting anything to happen, right? Zechariah got up and went to the temple that day just like he did every other day. He had no idea that he was going to be chosen at random to enter the temple and have this angel show up and change not just his whole world, but everyone's whole world. One day, we're going to be in a situation like that. Human beings are going to be in a situation like that where we are just going about our days, doing our jobs, doing the same thing we do every other day, and Jesus is going to step back into the world to change everything all over again. That's what we're waiting for. That's what we're hoping for. And so as we see God do that for Zechariah in this passage, I hope it fills us with hope that one day soon he's going to do that for us or people like us. As we take the Lord's Supper, we should remember that, that that's one of the things Paul said it's supposed to do for us. Paul says every time we take the Lord's Supper, we proclaim his death. We proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. So the Lord's Supper looks back. It remembers what Christ has done, that his blood was shed and his body was broken for us and for our sins. It also looks forward until he comes again. So when we take the Lord's Supper, we're taking it in faith in what he has done and we're taking it in hope in what he's going to do. And so today, I would ask you to take some time to prepare your hearts 
confess sin that you need to repent of and confess to God. Uh, ask him to, to fill you with faith in what Christ has done for you and to stir and inflame hope within you for what he's yet to do for his creation. Ask him to do for us what he does for Zechariah in this passage. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for for the good news you give to Zechariah in this passage. We thank you that we get to look back on it, knowing that these things did take place, that Zechariah was able to speak again and to name his son John, and that his son grew up to prepare the way for your son to begin his ministry and to preach the good news of his kingdom, that he's coming to save us, that he came to save us. Father, I thank you that we get to look back on the cross knowing that Jesus paid it all. He paid the penalty that we should have paid for for our sins. We get to look back on the resurrection knowing that you brought him back from the grave that he ascended into heaven, announcing his victory over sin, death, and Satan, that we get to look back on so many of your promises kept in him. We thank you that all of your promises find their yes in Jesus. God, I pray that you would fill us with hope, knowing that he is coming again. To, to fully consummate everything that he started when he was born into this world. To fully and finally redeem us and redeem your creation, to fix everything that's broken and to make all of the sad things come untrue. I pray today that Jesus, as we celebrate your supper, that we would together proclaim your death until you return. That we would look back in faith and look forward in hope together. That you would send your spirit to enable us to respond rightly, both in taking the Lord's Supper and also as we continue in service and worship together today. We thank you for your sacrifice, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.